Please turn tonight to Acts, the book of Acts of the Apostles, and to chapter 8 to our Bible reading. I'd like to read verse 30, the phrase thereof, and verse 35. This is the question asked by Philip to a man who was searching, a man who had many questions, and he says to him this question, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you understand? He asked him. Then down in verse 35, Philip says, he opens his mouth, And he began at the same scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. And he preached unto him, Jesus. Let me ask you this question tonight. It's not a patronizing question, I hope. Do you really understand the message of the Bible, the whole Bible? Because really there is one message. A message which many people don't understand. They read the Bible, and I was like this until the age of 16. I read the Bible out of duty, out of habit, to please my parents, but I didn't understand. Oh, I knew a few things about it. I knew the people, I knew the stories, the narratives, I knew many facts, I won prizes for facts, but I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you ask me that question, do you understand? I would have struggled to answer. You see, to me it was just facts and figures and people. It was ancient history. As it's been said, it's a dead book about dead people. That's what it seemed to me. It seemed a bit dull. I didn't read it through choice. A dead book about dead people. But then, then, one summer, in 1985, the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. And I heard a series of messages I started to ask questions. Why? What? How? What does this mean? What is the message of the Bible? From cover to cover, what's the central theme? Before too long it became not a dead book, but a living book. A book that spoke, literally spoke to me. It's as though it was a different book. We call it God's Word because it's how God speaks to each person that wants God to speak to them and it became a living book to me. I'm sure there's many others that can say the same tonight. Its explanations became mind-blowing. It explained life and death and sin and heaven and hell and why I'm here and where I'm going and what life is for and why there's marriage and friendship and why marriages are broken and friendships are broken 
and why there's war, and why we have problems in life, and why people fall out with each other, and all the explanations were here before my eyes and I didn't understand. And it spoke about the bigger picture, about the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, a real person. He was a spirit, like God the Father, like the Holy Spirit, but he became physical, so that we, not me, but so that those that lived in Palestine could see him. Hundreds of thousands of people could see him, a real man, somebody that you could touch, somebody you could hear, somebody that spoke. Oh, he was real, so very real. The implications of what he spoke and what the Bible speaks are so profound and significant for life, and that's what I began to understand. And that's a parallel for this man. That's the only reason I mention it tonight. We read in our Bible reading of a man. We don't even know his name. We know his job. We know a few things about him. But what's more important is what happened to him. And that's what this describes. He was a eunuch. That's an old-fashioned word that William Tyndale, who translated the Bible, used to describe an official. An official that looked after money matters. We could call him the Lord Chamberlain or the Chancellor of the Exchequer in Ethiopia. And it tells us here that the queen, her real name, wasn't Candace. We know that there were many names given to the queens of that time, but there was one name given to all of them. And archaeologists have shown us that for a period of 200 years in Ethiopia, Cush, as it's called in the Bible, there was queen after queen after queen, all called Candace or Candace. That was the name given. Sometimes we have kings and queens and there's a hand-me-down name. And it was the case here. Queen of Ethiopia. And so this man, he lived and worked in her palace and he was in charge of all the money matters in Ethiopia, which was a very populous country. And so this man, an important man, but there's something missing in his life. He's got wealth, he's got position, he's got power, he's got connections, but there's something missing. It may be he'd been to Jerusalem before. We know on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that there were Ethiopians there and they heard the message in their own language as the apostles were given the ability to speak in Ethiopian tongue of that time. So we know it possibly wasn't his first visit or people had returned and they spoke about Jerusalem and the astonishing things that were happening in Jerusalem. This is probably very soon after Christ had died and risen again 
and ascended into heaven and Pentecost and the church was launched and out it went. And already in Ethiopia we know they knew about Christ. And so we hear this man, he's come to Jerusalem, the first or maybe the second visit, two and a half thousand miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He didn't travel alone, no, he was important. He went in a chariot. We imagine it to be grand, maybe gold-covered, four big wheels and horses to pull him along. And there he's been to Jerusalem. Why did he go? Well, he's intrigued. He's interested. I want to speak about three words tonight, just to help the children. A desire, a desert, and two declarations. A desire, a desert, and two declarations. The first is a desire. That's what this man obviously had. He has a desire for answers. He's got questions about life. Why is life like this? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? Where am I going? Why am I here? And so I believe he goes to Jerusalem. Some of you might remember a queen, the queen of Sheba, the queen of a place in a not dissimilar area to Ethiopia, and she went to Jerusalem to see a great king, King Solomon. She went to test him with many questions. And she got to Jerusalem and she'd been told of his riches and wealth and glory. And she said this, The half was not told me. Solomon, his riches, his wisdom, his palace, the way he went up to worship God, oh, it was altogether more holy, more grand, more glorious than anything I've ever imagined. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, there's one standing here, and I am he, and I am greater than Solomon. The Queen of Sheba going to Solomon was a picture of Christ, and this man He's gone to Jerusalem in a very similar way. I need answers. I can't stay in the palace in Ethiopia. I need to find. Who is this Christ? The one that did thousands of miracles, because there was thousands. He healed thousands of people. And he gave food to thousands of people. And he did astonishing things. He turned water into wine. When he spoke, the people were amazed, astonished. Who is this? Even the waves are still when he speaks. When this man speaks, he speaks as a man with authority. The authority of heaven. The authority of God. And he casts out demons. And people are in their right mind. And the deaf can hear, and the dumb can speak, and the lame can walk. Who is this man? And now he's died. There's a commotion in Jerusalem, and people are being killed, 
persecuted just because they believe in this gracious, miracle-working man. Who is this man? Isn't that what he was thinking? He's on his way back in a chariot. You've read the story. We, we read it together and he's reading, reading aloud. He's got such a desire. Do you have a desire tonight? Have you got questions? Or are you just going through life in this physical way? As though what you can see and hear and touch is all there is. This man knew there was a lot, lot more. He knew that there was a spiritual dimension to life. And he had to find out why, how, can I know this God, this holy God? Can I know him for myself? And he's reading. He's got a scroll. It would have been a long scroll. Isaiah chapter 53, written 800 years ago. And he reads about a man. And the Holy Spirit has directed Philip. That's the, the desire that this man had. What about the desert? The Ethiopian man is now in a desert. He's in the wilderness. He hasn't got the answers to the questions that he wanted to answer, but he's still searching. He's still looking. He's still saying, why, why, why? Who is this man? And the Holy Spirit is engineering everything that happens. We read about it. There's Philip in Samaria, north of Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit, through an angel, appears to Philip and says, Go to the desert. Why? No, Philip obeyed. Go to the desert and you'll meet one man. Do you know the probability of that happening is so absurd, it's incalculable. Go to a desert, to Gaza, a place mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. Go to Gaza and you'll meet one man in a desert. And that's all he's told. As he gets near, the angel says to Philip, Go near. Go near that man. You see that chariot? That's him. The Holy Spirit's ordering everything. And you know he always does that. When somebody is going to become a Christian, the Holy Spirit moves in every step to guide and to lead us to the truth. And so he comes and meets the man and he hears. He's reading aloud, that's what it tells us. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Who is? Who was? What does this mean? And just at that moment, the most obscure prophecy in many ways, he's trying to work out the riddle, it doesn't make sense. And then Philip says to him, this question, the question I asked you at the beginning, do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what this means? Do you understand the significance of these things? The man says, are you mad? 
He doesn't say that quite, but that's the inference. How can I? I'm just an ordinary person. I need a guide. And the Holy Spirit is guiding Philip to be his guide, to lead him into all the truth. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near, join thyself to the chariot. Then he's reading, and he asks this question. How can I understand? He answers a question with a question. And he beckons Philip, Come up, come, come. Come and tell me. Come and help me. How does he know Philip would have the answers? Because the Holy Spirit's moving his heart, moving him to go to Jerusalem, moving him to read, to ask questions. And the place that he was reading was just the right verse to lead him to Christ. Isn't this wonderful? Every step of the way, conversion is not an accident. Conversion isn't about what I do. It's not about my choice. It's the Holy Spirit moving in individual, one man's heart. And so he asks another question, verse 34. I pray thee, who does the prophet Isaiah speak about? Is he speaking about himself? Or does he speak about some other man? Do you see this man? He's a bright, intelligent man. We can assume that. He's a powerful, important, wealthy man. We know that. And yet, it's all gobbledygook. It doesn't make sense. How can somebody writing 800 years ago He's speaking about somebody that's just been in Jerusalem, where I've just been. He thinks, show me, what does this mean? And Philip comes. We've had the desire. We've had this extraordinary meeting in a desert. And now there is a declaration. In fact, there's going to be two. The first is in verse 37. It comes from the mouth of Philip. He's come to this place for such a time as this, and he's going to speak and explain everything. He's going to explain all the questions that this man has. I imagine they had a conversation for a couple of hours. Do you know what this means? But he very quickly moves on from Isaiah to the one that Isaiah was speaking of. And it says that he speaks unto him or declares or preaches unto him Jesus. Verse 35. And that's my message tonight. What I want to tell you about is a man. A God-man. A man who was in heaven and a man who became man. He was still God and then he stopped being man and he became fully God again and he ascended up to heaven. But in these 33 years of his life, he changed the world. 
It was prophesied in such detail, nobody can have any doubt. This is the man, Jesus Christ. This is the one that you need to know, he said to the man. This is the man that I know. He's my saviour, he's my Lord. Every bit of prophecy is speaking of him has been fulfilled. And he preached and declared unto him, Jesus Christ. That's the message of the Bible. Cover to cover. Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. It speaks of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior, the only one who can heal you, forgive you, take your guilt away, the one who's taken the punishment of all his people. There on the cross of Calvary, there in Jerusalem. And he was punished, just as it was prophesied, like a little lamb. A little lamb. He was silent. Lambs don't know they're going to the slaughter. But Christ knew. Because Christ knew before eternity began, if we can say that contradiction, before time began, Christ knew. Christ said, I would go into time. And I would die for my people. One day I would draw them one by one to myself. And the Holy Spirit would move their heart. And they would hear a message declared, just like tonight, of Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the one that saves from sin. Well, that was the first declaration. What did Philip say to the man? Did he leave it there? No, of course he didn't. He said to him, verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, you've got to be sincere. You've got to be genuine. You've got to mean it. You've got to come to him with no distractions, no obstacles, no more questions. And you've got to believe in this one who lived and died and rose again, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The man's listening. It's like the penny dropped. It's like the blinkers were taken off. The ears were unstopped. It's like he was dead. Unable to understand and comprehend. And somehow the Holy Spirit, in a moment, gives this man life. And he sees and he understands, and he hears. He died for me, a sinner. A man that was searching and was unsatisfied with life, and he died for me. And all I have to do is believe by faith on Jesus Christ. I can't see him, but I have to believe on him. That's what Philip says. If thou believest with all thine heart, I'm certain. He told him he had to repent of his sin. 
Maybe Philip said to him, what are your sins? Maybe the man said, well, I like my riches and I like my chariot and I like my wealth and I like my position and I like having authority. And Philip said to him, you need to be willing to leave all of that. If that's what the Lord says to you, leave it all behind. Because Jesus Christ is all that you need. He will satisfy your soul. And the half has not been told you of the greatness and the kindness and the preciousness and the love of this man who died for your sin. And I don't know how and when, but sometime in that chariot the penny dropped and he understood Christ died for me. Christ can be my saviour, my lord, my captain, my guide, my shepherd, my friend, through the whole of the rest of my life. I don't know what he said to Philip. Maybe there was silence for a while. He thought about the implications. He thought about having to go back and tell the queen and tell his family and friends and everything else, and he had to be willing to even be persecuted for his faith. How do we know he believed? Well, here's the second declaration. He says, as he sees something in the distance, in a desert, you don't find much water in deserts, do you? But he sees, it gets nearer. Is it a mirage? Am I imagining it? Philip has obviously told him about baptism, about how Christ was baptized and about how many were baptized. 3,000 were added to the church, then 5,000, and they believed, they repented, and they were baptized. They didn't wait, they didn't delay. And the man thinks, well, why should I wait? What stops me? Why should I wait to get back to Ethiopia? That's a desert too. And he sees the mirage shimmering and it gets nearer. And as it gets nearer, maybe he sees a palm tree or something near the pond. And he says to the chariot, stop, stop. And here's the man's profession of faith. It's as simple as this. This is the way he does it. What stops me? Stop the chariot. 